Amen. If you have a Bible, please take it out and uh, turn with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you're using a pew Bible, our text tonight is found on page 973 and then continuing on to page 974. We're continuing our study through this letter of St. Paul um, to the churches in Galatia. And tonight we get to chapter 3, verse 15 through the end of the chapter. So Galatians 3. 15 through 29. Let me read that for us, then we'll pray, and then we'll we'll jump in and see what the Lord has for us tonight in His Word. So, hear then God's Word for you, friends. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's ask God to help us understand this part of the Bible. Father, we again come before you, submitting ourselves under the authority of the word and ask that by your spirit you would illuminate us in our minds, help us to understand rightly what you have for us here. Some of these things are difficult, Father, and so we pray that you would help us to grasp the main ideas, the big picture of what St. Paul, under the inspiration of the spirit, wanted to communicate to us. And we ask, Father, that this text, as we continue to go through this letter, would contribute to the great work of change, the great work of renewal that you are doing in the lives of those who have placed faith in Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, one of the things you learn when you're a parent pretty early on as your kids start getting older is that when a birthday party for some of your kids' friends comes around and it's time to go shop for a birthday present, there are certain toys that aren't age-appropriate. 
and there are certain toys that are age appropriate. This is something that's taken me some time to figure out. Um, you know, I always thought before I was a parent that I could just sort of walk into Toys R Us or Target, and there's that one big aisle that says kids' toys, and you just go, you know, you can go in there blindfolded, grab a toy, take it to a kid if he's one or if he's four, and it's not really going to matter. But then I got a three-year-old and a two-year-old and a four-month-old, and I realized that, that that's just not the case. You know, so Some toys you would get for, for a one-year-old are not a toy that I would give to, to my son, Nathaniel, who's three and a half now. He, he would look at that toy and think, what, what is this, Dad? I mean, come on. Come on, I'm not going to play with that anymore. That's for, that's for my little brother. It's just not an age-appropriate toy. And obviously, often we wouldn't, we wouldn't give a one-year-old uh, an Xbox, although the parents might like that as well. Uh, we don't give them a toy that's beyond their reach, that's out of their age range. And so I've started when I go to get Christmas presents or when I go to get birthday gifts to look at the little label that's always on those boxes, which is very helpful for parents who are ignorant, which says, for ages three through five or four through six, or if your kid is under three, don't even think about getting him this because he's going to swallow 70% of the parts by next Tuesday. That's not what the label says, but it's strongly implied, right? And so I've learned that certain toys are age appropriate, certain toys aren't, and a parent better have that figured out when he goes into the store to buy a gift. What Paul is telling us tonight under the Spirit's work, under the Spirit's inspiration, is that the Old Testament law, the Mosaic Code, was, as it were, an age-appropriate tool. An age-appropriate tool that was intended for the people of God in their infancy, maybe even in their teenage years. But now that the people of God have come to maturity with Christ's coming, those age-appropriate tools, the law, are no longer necessary. It would be like going into Target and buying for a 16-year-old a toy that I would get for, that I should get for, for a three-year-old. It's just not something that we need to do anymore. We've, as it were, we've, we've grown out of the need for a toy like that, or for a tool like that. Now, the reason Paul, here in this text, is talking about the law and its purpose is because of what these men have been teaching in the churches in Galatia that Paul had planted. Now, just by way of review, we've been going through this every week because I want you to be able to remember it. Church, Paul had planted these churches in south-central Turkey, a number of churches in Galatia, and then he had left. And after he had left, these men that the New Testament calls the Judaizers had come in and they had said, does anybody remember what they said? They said, Jesus, belief in Jesus is essential it is necessary, you must trust in Jesus to be a part of God's community, to be right with God, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough. You also must observe Torah. You must get circumcised. You must become, become Jewish, hence their name, the Judaizers. And so these men had come in and they had begun to have uh, significant influence in the Galatian churches and create all sorts of waves of confusion and Paul heard of this and wrote in response to this false teaching, what he calls a false gospel in chapter 1, verse 6, the letter of Galatians. And recently, in our study of the letter, we've been seeing that Paul's main emphasis in the letter is to remind us, to teach us, that justification, being declared right with God, comes through faith and not through works of the law. In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that's what Paul says in so many words. And then last time, when we looked at the first part of chapter 3, we saw Paul giving 
confirming pieces of testimony or pieces of evidence to prove that that's how you were justified, by faith and not by works of the law. He said in chapter 3, remember your experience. Remember when we looked at that last time. Your experience, how you received the Spirit. He said, remember what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures themselves, your Old Testament, teaches that justification comes by faith. And remember the crucified Messiah dying on the cross, bearing the curse of the law for us. Remember all of these things. These are all, Paul says, pieces of evidence to bolster my argument for you. That justification is solely by faith. It's sola fide. It's not by observance of Torah. It's not by circumcision. And so Paul has reached then a a sort of the the center point of Galatians. And tonight, in the text we're going to look at, what he does is, is is answer a question that the Judaizers and probably many in the churches in Galatia would have certainly had as a response to Paul's teaching. Now think about it this way. Paul has been saying, you don't need to observe the law to be justified. Justification does not come by circumcision. It doesn't come by Torah observance. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so these Judaizers, who in in many ways were very devout, were very concerned about the Bible, they would have said things like this to Paul. Well then, Paul, why does the law even exist? What's the purpose of Torah? What's the purpose of all these commands that God has called upon his people to follow in the Old Testament? This scripture that we treasure so deeply in our society and is such a deeply ingrained part of our culture. Why does this even exist, Paul? It seems like you're just sort of, you're just sort of throwing the Old Testament away, throwing the law away. It's a fair question, given what Paul said. He's put some things pretty strongly. And so he's going to answer that question tonight. And so... We want to look at this text. Again, we can't get into everything. There's some hard stuff in this passage. Remember last time, it's kind of like being at the top of a double black diamond, and you're about to go down, and you're thinking, I'm going to die before I get to the bottom of this mountain. This this passage, this part of Galatians, is sort of like looking down a a steep double black diamond on skis your first time ever skiing. It's it's intimidating, but we want to try and not answer every question. Uh, if you have more questions, I'd love to talk to you after the sermon, but, but answer the big question, get the big point. So with that in mind, there's two things that I want us to see in this part of Galatians. Life under the law and life under Christ. Life under the law and life under Christ. So those are the two big points. There's two subpoints underneath each of those. So that's where we're headed. The outline's on the back of your um, bulletin if you would like to use that. So let's jump in then. Remember, Paul is trying to answer this question What is the purpose of the law? Why does the law even exist? And in verses 15 through 18, he sort of just summarizes what he said thus far. He says basically the promise of God that he made to Abraham precedes the law. Faith comes before circumcision. It comes before law observance. And then the question he pops there in verse 19. Why then the law? And in answering this question about the purpose of the law, Paul is really, he's intending, I think, to tell us, Two important things about life under the law and about um, the purpose of the law. So here's the two things for you to get that Paul tells us about life under law. The first thing that he communicates is that life under the law is intended to be temporary. It's intended to be temporary. So look at the text. There's a number of pointers to show that this is true. He says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And then look at that next word, until. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. 
And then in verse 23 and 24, look at what he says there. Now, before, that's another temporal word, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Until, the end of verse 23, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Verse 24, the law was our guardian, again, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So what Paul's saying here, in using all of these temporal words, is that the law served a purpose for a time for God's people. He illuminates that even further in the word he uses there in verse 24. He says that the law was our guardian. Some of your translations might say teacher or instructor. And that word is a word that um, refers to Greek men that would raise up young Greek boys, the heirs of Greek homes in ancient Rome and in ancient Greece. And they were very strict taskmasters. They were very strict guardians. They were, they were maybe, the, if you're in Victorian England, it would be called like a, a strict governess. Today, it might be like a Brazilian au pair, you know, people who uh, give their kids to these, the parents give their kids to these people and expect these people to train their kids and teach their kids. And in ancient Greece, this guy had a rod and he was very strict. That's the word that Paul's using here when he says that about the law. He says the law was a guardian, but a guardian is only intended to operate during the time when the person is, is a child, right? So the law, Paul says, was always intended to be temporary. Life under the law was temporary. There's a great little thing I came across this week. Uh, some of you have probably seen this. Marianne had seen this. It's called uh, Toddler Property Laws. And uh, I'm going to read these because this is hilarious. Here's the 10 toddler property laws, okay? Here's the first one. If I like it, it's mine. Second, if it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, if, if it's mine, this is very true in my house, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, it is mine. <laughs> Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And then finally, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. That's unbelievably true, as you know, if you've had toddlers or have toddlers. Now, the point of that is that certain rules are implemented in a family or in any situation when the kids are of a certain age. But as the kids get older and move into their teenage years, the rules change. And I'm sure that becomes actually quite maybe even more difficult for parents than just having to deal with, with toddler property laws. So what Paul's saying here about the law as it relates to God's people is that as God's people grew up, as God's people matured, as God's people aged, the law changed, the, the rules changed. The law is not, it's not intended to be a guide in the same way for us now that it was when we were in our infancy or when we were in our toddler years or when we were immature. To sum it up, what Paul's saying is that the Torah, the law, was an age-appropriate set of rules during the interim time until the people of God reached maturity. And he says, now that Jesus has come, it's time to go into, into the New Testament commandments, which are commandments for grown-ups. And the bottom line is these laws are harder <laughs> because it's, it's harder to be a grown-up. Now, let's, let's think about that for just a minute. Um, I think this is very relevant. 
You might not think it's relevant, but it is. Let me tell you why. Sometimes we, as Christians, uh, we act as if we're still under a guardian. Uh, one commentator, Scott McKnight, McKnight, put it very well. He says, he says we want a B.C. lifestyle in an A.D. period. Let me, let me help us think about that a little bit. You know, we, we all want things to be easy when it comes to relating to God. And when it comes to when it comes to relating to one another, you know, we we say just, you know, just tell me what I can and can't do. Just give me the toddler property laws for for having a healthy marriage. Just give me just give me seven steps for being a successful, godly parent. Just give me an easy, easy way to be involved as a Christian in the world. Just show me the laws I have to follow to build Christian community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But God doesn't do that. There is no New Testament Leviticus. Instead of laws and black and white, in the, which we get oftentimes in the Old Testament, in the New Testament we get simply this, Galatians chapter 5. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is much more difficult than following laws about not eating pork and not eating hoofed animals and sacrificing at certain times of the year and doing this and not doing this and not bathing here and not coming here when you're unclean. It's much, much more difficult. To obey, love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's much, much more difficult. It's much, much more complex. It's much, much more ambiguous in a sense to be a grown-up than it is to be a toddler. Now, oftentimes, we want to revert back to the immature period as God's people. We want a set of very clear rules, a set of very clear lists to follow. And so we set up all sorts of legalistic entrapments and ideas, and we add on to this, and we add on to that, and we either do that explicitly or implicitly, sort of in our communal life. And we're really trying, we're trying to go back to the time when God gave all these intricate little details. And in, in that sense, we're, we're living in a very immature way. We're, we're reversing the course of redemptive history. We're forgetting the law, the Mosaic Code in that sense, was intended to be temporary. It's merely a guardian. So the law, is, the law is temporary. That's the first thing we need to get about life under the law. The second thing, Paul tells us, is that the law isn't just temporary. It's also necessary. And this is really the rub when he says, why then the law, verse 19, he tells us that the law was added. The law of Moses, large parts of the Old Testament exist, he says, because of transgressions. The law is necessary. In what way? He, he summarizes, or he elaborates on that a little bit later in the text. He says, verse 21, is the law contrary to the promises of God? No, it was added because of transgressions. And then verse 22 and 23, he explains that. The scripture, he says, or the law, imprisoned everything under sin. That word imprisoned is crucial. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And in verse 23, he repeats the same thing. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Here's the point. He's saying the law is necessary, but you've got to get that the purpose of God's law was never to bestow salvation. The purpose of God's law he says, has always been, rather, to convince men of their need of salvation. Paul elaborates on this elsewhere, especially in Romans, Romans chapter 3 and 4, and particularly Romans chapter 7, where he says, if, if I hadn't been told in the law, thou shalt not covet, 
I would never have known what, what it is to covet. You know, think about it this way. It, we use the, the term, uh, you crossed a line there. Well, that, that implies that a line exists to cross. The law, God says, is the line. And the point of the law is to show you that you're always, always, always going to cross the line. You can't keep the law. It was added because of transgressions to show you that you're a sinner. It existed not to save you. It existed, Paul says, to show you that you need to be saved. That's why he says in verse 21, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But a law was not ever given with the purpose of giving life. A law was given to show us that we need life because we can't keep the law. That's why Paul uses the words in verse 23 that the law imprisoned us. It, cap- it was a captive of us. We were held captive under it, being told again and again and again that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. John Stott sums it up very well. He says this, The law was intended to make plain the sinfulness of sin as a revolt against the will and authority of God. So Paul's saying, no, the law is not against the promises of God, not at all. And life under the law is not against the promises of God. The law, on the other hand, shows you how sweet the promise of God is and how desperately we need it. You see, these people in Galatia, the Judaizers, they were saying, keep the law and you will live. If you get circumcised, and only if you get circumcised, only if you observe Torah, only if you keep the festivals and the feasts, only then will you really have life as a part of God's family. Only then can you really be made right with God. And Paul's saying, no. No, you've misread your own scriptures. You're subverting and reversing what the law was always intended to be. It was never intended to give life. It was to show you that you need to get life from somewhere other than your own efforts to obey. So the law is temporary. Life under the law is temporary. It was a guardian until we reached an age of maturity. And life under the law, Paul says, is necessary. It only brings our knowledge that we deserve condemnation and death. And because it brings us that, it shows us our great need for a Savior, for one who can be declared just, for one who can keep the law. Now thinking about that as well, I think this is super important. We've got to see that this, among other things, I think is teaching us as Christians now, 2,000 years after this was written, that that we can never soft-pedal preaching the law or hearing the law or reading the law in our lives as Christians. We can't avoid the law. We don't want to just sort of skip over the law. No, the law is an essential and necessary part of the gospel. Phil mentioned this just a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching through Romans 4. He says, in a sense, the law is is necessary for justification. And he's exactly right. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. The law is necessary. It's necessary for you to hear because it shows you that you have a need. And when we soft-pedal the law, when we disavow the law, when we ignore the law, when we skip the law in the public ministry of the Word, in your private devotional life, in our life as a church, we're skipping over the fact that we need desperately a Savior. And the more we skip over that, the more we think we can save ourselves in some sense, maybe even a small percentage. And that's death, death to Christian growth. It's death to Christian community. That's the whole point of Galatians. 
So yes, we need the law. It's necessary. But we don't read the law. We don't hear the law so that we can say, yes, I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do a little bit better this week. No, 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 no. We need the law so that we can be driven, so that we will, we will turn and run as fast as our souls will take us to Jesus. To Jesus, who is the only lawkeeper. To Jesus, who, who saves us. So that's what Paul has to say about life under the law. It's sort of like, um, I'll just use this. I've got to use this because I thought about this for a while, so I'm not going to skip it. Um, when I, a couple of weeks ago, and I've told you before about my inability to fix stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, we had the car break down. And uh, it didn't seem to be too bad. Like, I didn't think I needed to call Dave Schinkel immediately and have him come take care of it. And so I thought, you know, honey, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll work on it. And, of course, as soon as I turned around, Marianne, I'm sure she didn't really roll her eyes, but I know that that's what she was thinking. Like, yeah, right, you're not going to be able to fix it. But so I go out there and I get my tools and pull up the hood, and I'm thinking, all right, here we go. And I pull out the car manual. And, you know, this car manual, to me, it's like there's, it seems like there needs to be an appendix to the manual about how to read the manual. You know, and it might as well be written in Chinese because no idea what I'm doing. I don't have the right tools. I'm bumping my head on the top of the hood. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Very, very soon into the game, I'm thinking, I'm done with this. Get me to Dave Schinkel pronto. I need a mechanic. And I go in, and Marianne, you know, she's got the phone there waiting for me with Dave Schinkel's number already up on speed dial. So that's exactly what the law is. The law is intended frustrate us it's intended to drive you to despair it's intended to show you in a very very significant way that you need something other than yourself if you're going to be made right that's what luther says there in the quote on the front after the law has humbled terrified and completely crushed you so that you are on the brink of despair then see to it that you know how to use the law correctly for its function and use is not only to disclose the sin and wrath of god but also to drive us Christ. So Paul then tells us what life under the law is like. He tells us what its purpose was. He says it was temporary and necessary, but it brought condemnation and frustration and death. That was its purpose, to imprison us, to be a strict guardian with us until the coming of Jesus. But then in verse 25, we see this great transition. Transition. Paul says there, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And then he proceeds to tell us, and in telling us, introducing really the rest of the letter of Galatians, what life under Christ is like. And I'm going to go over these last couple of verses really, really quickly, because they're just introducing themes that we're going to get into in more detail later in the letter. But real briefly, real briefly, Paul tells us three things about life under Christ contrasting what life was like under the law. He says, the faith has come. Jesus has come. The way of salvation has been made plain. We're no longer under a guardian. What does life under Christ look like? What does the life of faith look like? Verse 26, in Jesus you are all sons. You are all sons of God through faith. And notice that word is not children. That's a gender-specific term. And I say sons and not daughters for a very particular reason. And it's not because I'm sexist. It's because to miss that misses Paul's whole point. The son is the heir in the ancient world. The son is the one who's going to inherit all the benefits and blessings of the family house. And Paul is saying that is exactly what you stand to gain with life in Christ by faith. 
You are a son of God just as much as Jesus himself is. Legally, the way you are in a family, just like in a family that has a couple of adopted kids and a couple of natural born kids, there's no distinction in the way the parents love those children and the way the parents treat those children if they're good parents. And so Paul says that the first and fundamental thing to get about life under Christ is that we are sons. Think about that. Everything that Jesus has earned and won and deserves as the Son of God who died and has risen again and ascended into heaven, you also share by faith. Jesus earned resurrection life forever. You share that as a son. Jesus earned God's vindication, God's declaration of righteousness. You, as a son, possess that as well. Jesus earned lordship over this entire universe. And you, as a son, possess, yes, under Jesus, but you possess lordship. You are going to rule the world forever. You are a son. Second, not only are you a son, but we are one. Look at verse 28. An amazing verse, one of the peaks of Galatians. In Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one. Literally what Paul says there is, you are one body in Christ. Now we've talked about that already in Galatians, and we're going to talk about it more later. But the fundamental thing for us to remember again here is that we belong to one another through our union with Jesus. You know, we read in the scripture, you are not your own, you belong to Christ. But we also, in Christ, belong to each other. Our, our oneness is so deep that Paul can say here and many other places in, in his letters that, that you are one body. Your, your unity and your symmetry and your affections for one another are to be so, so closely condensed and compacted that we're relating in a way that my hands relate and that my feet relate and that our bodies relate. We are, we are one. All of the distinctions that in this life and that under the world's rules and under the world's order mark us and keep us apart, things like ethnicity and rank and gender are now things that have been not completely obliterated but are things that don't any longer matter. They don't matter through faith in Jesus. You are sons through faith in Jesus. Life under Jesus by faith means you are one. And then finally, verse 29, life under faith in Jesus means that if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's offspring. Now that's a, something we probably read over pretty quickly, but that's a super, super profound truth. Um, and I think, again, particularly in the day and age in which we live, that's a, a super, super profound point because I find more and more that people that I come across, maybe some of you, are struggling with feelings of, of detachment from any sort of important work, from any sort of significant story. Maybe you live far away from your family. Maybe you don't have any family. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like you're not a part of anything special. You just feel detached. And many of our lives reflect that just sort of in the day-to-day. -day. And I've talked about this before. You know, we, we drive home. We go into our garage. We close our garage. Before we get out of the car, we go in. We get out. We, do, we don't really we don't really day-to-day -day feel that we're attached to something powerful, that we're, that we're a part of some important movement. Friends, listen. The gospel says to you otherwise. 
gospel says to you through faith in Jesus, you are a part of the most fundamentally important, of the most radically transformative movement in the history of the world. You are attached to the greatest and largest family that's ever existed. You have a place. You are offspring of Abraham. All the promises that God made to Abraham, he makes to you and he has fulfilled for you. The story that you read about in the, in the Old Testament with all the saints and all the sinners, that's your story just as much as it's their story. You are a fundamental part of the great movement of God throughout human history. It's an amazing thing. It's a remarkable thing to remind ourselves of. We're going to talk more about all these things as we continue through Galatians. But the primary thing I want you to get today again is to remember that Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ, the sweetness of faith in Jesus Christ, comes only and fully when you see that the law will only condemn you. It comes only and fully when you see that the law, in its very essence, is intended to show you your need of a Savior. The law is, is a good guardian for you. It's a good teacher. It's a good pedagogue. Because its pedagogy is not intended to show you that you're able. It's intended to show you that you're unable. And when you see that you're unable, you can again see the sweetness of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for the ways in which Paul communicates to us truth and how you have worked through Christ's cross to reconcile us to yourself. And indeed, even how you have worked throughout history in your law and revealing yourself in different ways throughout different periods of time to show us our need of a Savior, to show us how we fall short of the standard that you hold out for us, and to show us that Jesus has indeed fulfilled all the law for us, that he has borne the curse of our transgression, that he is the one who saves us. He's mighty to save. And so we thank you for that, and we pray, Father, that this message tonight from your word would cause us again to run and to run quickly to Jesus by faith. And we know by faith that he will always accept us, that in Jesus you widely open your loving arms to again bring home the prodigals, sons and daughters who stray away from you and who turn from you. And yet anytime we come back in repentance and in faith, remembering what Jesus has done for us and who he is for us, we know that our home is with you and that you will always accept us. Thank you for that love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.